So why don't you open up your Bibles with me uh, to to First Timothy chapter, First Timothy chapter six, and and we're going to just continue in this series uh, that, we're, that we're calling "Dive Deep," and we're talking about diving deeper in the Christian life, and 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 what does that mean? And so today, tonight, I want to talk to you about this subject. Uh, in fact, is I've titled this message called "The Dangerous Life." And uh, a lot of times, if, if we talk and we ask someone, well, what, what is a dangerous life? What do you think Scripture says a dangerous life is? And, and a lot of times, we'll, we'll go to, to some immoral stuff, or we'll go to some addictions, or, or, or we'll go to some of those other things. But, but the Bible, all of a sudden, when it starts talking about the di- dangerous life, it starts talking about this issue of stewardship. It starts talking about this issue of the dangerous life is that person that, that's caught up in greed, or gets caught up into materialism, or some of those other things. And so that's what I, that's what I want to talk to you tonight. I just, I just want to open up the scriptures with you uh, and just let them speak. I, I just think it's, I, I think it's just such a privilege uh, to be part of a faith community to where we just simply week in, week out, just open up the scriptures and we allow the scriptures just to speak to us and, uh, and allow God to, to speak to us. So here's what, here's what Paul is writing. Paul is writing in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. And uh, Paul's writing to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And Paul is telling this young preacher how, how, how to be a preacher and how to lead a congregation and how to speak to a people group and all of those other things. And so Paul all of a sudden begins talking about this issue. And he says, you need to warn them. You need to warn them about a dangerous life, a dangerous life that, that can lead to, to destruction and relationships and a country and families and all of those other things. And so, so here's what Paul writes. And then we're going to unpack this as we just walk verse by verse through, through a couple of verses or for a few verses in First Timothy. So here's what the scripture says. He said, but those who desire to, to be rich fall into temptation, into, into a snare, into a trap. In other words, he says it's a trap. Uh, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So all of a sudden, he, he's, he, he's defining out the dangerous life. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And that's plural. That is just so important. And, so he's, and then he goes, it, it is through this cravings that, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with, with many pangs. In other words, he says the dangerous life can cause some problems in your life. It can cause some problems for you. It can cause some problems for people around you. And so Paul is talking and Paul is warning Timothy to warn a church that, that if, if we're not careful that we can be driven by, by the love of money and by the things that, that money can give us. Uh, materialism, what he says, creates temptations that, and I've just watched it as a pastor, that materialism, if we're not careful, it can create some things. It can separate families. It can destroy relationships. It, it can destroy somebody's commitment. Fact is, materialism can even cause people to like leave the faith and leave the church. And so, you know what? Along with me, I'd just like to challenge you because I, I think especially in the world in which we live, to where materialism is something that's like a virtue and materialism is something that's lifted up high in our culture. That we would, we would just like look at the scriptures and, and we would like look at, at our life because, listen, it, it's so difficult in the culture that we live in because our culture is, satur- our culture is saturated by materialism. And, and so many times, if we're not careful, we're just going to be brainwashed. And sometimes we, we, we need to be reprogrammed. And some of us have been so ingrained in the world that we think that this is the way it's supposed to be. And this is like the, the way it works. But, but, but when you look at the teachings of Jesus, it, it, Jesus says it requires a lifestyle that, that it is counterculture, that, that views materialism and money and, and your time differently. In other words, all of a sudden, Paul said there's like two people, that, two types of people that you have to warn. You have to warn that those that are 
want to get rich and then warn those that are rich and and he says you need to warn them verse 9 again he says but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into run and ruin and destruction and then verse 17 if we just jump down first timothy chapter 6 he says as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be proud not to be arrogant, not to be haughty. Haughty is just a word that you know how, how people kind of look down on their nose at you like they're better than you because of their position in life, uh, because of, 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 of who they are in life, and nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In other words, in other words what, what we're learning now is you don't have to be a materialist or you don't have to be rich to be a materialist. This issue of materialism, a lot of times we think it's only the rich. We only think it's the wealthy. It's really interesting when you start asking people who's rich. You know, when you ask for that definition, it's always someone that makes more money than them. Very few people, I mean, just when you start looking at statistics, if, if you have a roof over your head, if you have three meals a day, uh, if you have a job, then guess what? By the world standards, we're all rich. And so it's real interesting. When you get into these discussions, people start defining out the rich as just anybody, anybody that has more stuff than me, anybody that has more money than me. And so, but, but, but this is so difficult because from the time since we're, we're, we're born, uh, right, we're just saying it's mine, it's mine. And, and as we get older and, 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 and we see people who have more, we think that's the good life. We have an advertising industry that I, I just look at the statistics before the service and our, the advertising industry spends over a billion dollars a year trying to convince us that Jesus Christ was wrong when he said that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And, and most people own commercials that, that appear to have it all, whether it's on TV, whether it's in newspaper or magazines, they always seem to be so happy, right? And it doesn't matter if it's a new car. It doesn't matter if it's like new toothpaste. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a new home. It doesn't matter if it's clothes. It doesn't matter if it's jewelry. It just seems like those people just like, like they have it all and they have it together. But, but Paul warns in 1 Timothy that, that we've got to be careful. And so he gave, he gave, he gave two warnings and, and, um, and he gave two warnings and he gave a command. He gave two warnings and a command. So that's how I want to walk through this tonight with you. The first two warnings is this. The first warning is this. He just says the warning is the danger of materialism. In other words, there's this danger of, of materialism. And, and fortunately, Paul defines out materialism for us. So we don't need to go to a dictionary. We don't need to go to any magazine or anything like that uh, to try to figure out what does, this, what, what does it mean to be a materialistic person. Paul defines these out in these verses. Verse 9, again, he says, but if we have food and clothing, or verse 8, I'm sorry, if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. And so the first sign is this a discontented spirit a person that is caught up in materialism it's hard for that person to ever be content i mean in other words you would define that or one of the signs of that type of person is you know what they're just a dis discontented person uh, it, it's, it's really hard, right? It's really hard to maintain a balance between healthy ambition and contentment with, with what we have but if you're always if you're always complaining about what you have 
if you're always pointing out the imperfections, if you're always jealous of, of, of someone else if they have more than you, or if when you get something, you purchase something, and within weeks you're like already dissatisfied with it, and, and you're complaining about the imperfections and you need something better, then Paul would say, you know what? You're falling into a trap. You're falling into a snare of materialism. It's, it's so easy for someone's eyes to get bigger than their pocketbook, right? And if we're not careful, we can dig ourselves deeper and deeper into credit card debt, or just into debt. Uh, Zig Ziglar, who was a positive motivational speaker, uh, he, was sp he was speaking at an engagement, and his wife didn't come with him, and so she wasn't with him, and so he stood up, and he was just being funny, and he says, he says, I am so sorry my wife is not with me. She has been being inducted tonight into the MasterCard Hall of Fame. And, and that's, ju that's just a joke, okay? All right, so another sign of materialism is, is this, misplaced priorities. And misplaced priorities, it's not only a discontented spirit, but it's these misplaced priorities. Verse 10, uh, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, ambition, when ambition or, or materialism gets out of control, all of a sudden, like the devotional life, goes south. I mean, who, who, had to, who, who, who has time to read Scripture? I mean, who has time to set aside time to read Scripture? I mean, I know some people do, but they must have more hours in the day than I got because who has time to read Scripture? And if you're not careful, when materialism sets in, then all of a sudden church worship or church attendance no longer becomes a priority. We're too busy to serve in life. I mean, we've got things to do. We've got our priorities. We've got our engagements. We have all of those other things. That's why Paul wrote in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as, some are the ha as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the third sign of a materialism is this, self-inflicted pain. I mean, it's self-inflicted pain. It's, it's a discontented spirit, and you can almost see the downward spiral that, that Paul's trying to identify. It's a discontented spirit, it's, a, it's, a, it's misplaced priorities, and then the last stage is just like this, this self-inflicted pain. He says, verse 10 again, he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced, and there's a phrase where it comes, self-inflicted pain. That's what it really means in the Greek, is this, when he says, pierce themselves with many pangs. It's self-inflicted pain. In other words, people with a desire to get rich, the desire to have more, many times will begin to violate their, 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 their conscience, even if, it, even if it hurts them, even if it hurts others. Uh, they, they, they will be willing to go against their beliefs, and so they may worry about their consequences. They, they, may, they may have a fear of, uh, of discovery, a fear of someone finding out. They may lose their peace with God, and many times they, they, lose, they lose their self-respect because, because they, they know what they're doing. They know how they're, they're, they're juggling finances or whatever. And so they live with, they live with this personal hurt or broken relationships. I found it interesting. David Letterman, uh, this last week, did one of his first interviews after retiring. And he says, you know what? Most of my life was a waste. He said, I made a lot of money. I was a success. But I worried, I worried about stuff when I look back over my life that just didn't matter. Ratings, being better than Jay Leno, making a lot of money, top contracts, and I look back over my life, and he's in his late 60s, and he says, most of my life was a waste. 
It's this issue of self-inflicted pain. Another warning that that Paul gives about this issue of materialism is this. He says there's a danger of riches. I mean, listen, not everybody can handle wealth. Not everybody, listen, not everybody can handle money. And so Paul begins helping Timothy to understand how to instruct a church and how to guide a church. You know what he's actually doing? He says, Timothy, you're going to have to help some people learn to be rich. You're going to have to help some people learn how to handle earthly wealth in such a way that brings peace and all those other things. Verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. A materialistic person will think their hope is in wealth. Their hope is in more. Their hope is in riches. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In other words, he says, he says, ask them and charge them and teach them, instruct them not to be haughty or proud. I mean, if, listen, if materialism or money determines your value, then you will feel like you're worth more than others around you who have less than you do or accomplish less than you do. I mean, really and truly rare is the, is the wealthy person who's, who's humble. And so, so, so Paul says, just if you're rich, don't be haughty. Don't be rude. I mean, Paul is, Paul is, is saying that, that these riches, these riches are just, just uncertain. I mean, no matter, no matter how, how rich you may be today, what, what the Scripture says, you can, you can be wiped out tomorrow. He said this wealth is, is temporal. And, and, and for many of us, that's hard to believe in America, right? I mean, that, that's for many, that's, that's just, that's hard for people to believe. I mean, but, but we've watched some of it. We think we, li- we, we live in America. We, we live in a nation that, that, that prospers and, and there's prosperity here. But, but, but what the scripture says is this. The scripture says that there is uncertainty of riches no matter how much money you have. You can be wiped out of it tomorrow. Verse 7, again, he just says, and, and for me, this is a sobering verse, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. Verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Listen, e- even if you were wise with your investments in your 401k, 403b, or stocks, or whatever, and you, and, and you don't lose what you have, one day, one day you're going to leave this world, and you're going to leave it all behind. I mean, what, what Paul later says is just, it's just not smart, not wise to invest everything in this world when one day you're going to leave it behind. When, whenever, I, whenever I do a, a funeral, and, and, and I don't know that this is unique to me, it's just something that, that, that is me. And that when, when I do a funeral, for, and I've done hundreds in this church, uh, for, for one of your loved ones or, or a family member, or, uh, a friend or someone in the community, it, it does not matter to me. And um, a- after the funeral's over, that whether it's in a church or whether it's in a, in a funeral home, that the loved ones in the family or the funeral director escorts them out of the room, the doors are closed. I always remain in the room. Maybe it's respect to the, the deceased, maybe it's respect to the family that I'm representing them in there. And the family waits outside. And I always watch the, the funeral home director uh, go to the casket, bend down, lift a hand of the deceased, and just quietly pulls off a watch, rings, jewelry, necklaces, earrings, glasses, pocket watches, 
And I always think of this verse. You brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. Verse 11, he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee, flee these things. And so he says, Here, here's what you need to pursue. Righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and, and gentleness. This was just, just written uh, as a warning, as a, as, a, as a healthy warning to those with, with wealth and people with money. He says, don't, don't get caught up in the pursuit of riches because riches are just so temporal. I mean, he, he's saying, flee from these things. And what, what's important in life, in other words, what happens with materialism, it, we, if, if we're not careful, we'll have misplaced priorities. And we'll think that our self-image comes from that. We'll think our worth comes from that. We'll think our wealth, com our, our happiness comes from that. Listen, let me tell you something. Whenever I preach a funeral, I never, I've never said, I've never stood up and said, you know, Joe here had a thousand shares of Apple stock. I never talk about his wealth. I never talk about his possessions. I never talk the size of his home, how many homes, how many cars, how many boats, how many RVs, uh, his, his stock por portfolio. I never talk about any of that because you know why? Because at the end of life, priorities become very, very clear. You know what we begin to talk about? We and you listen to family members who begin to talk about that too. Faith and godliness and love and gentleness and kindness and respect and relationships. I mean, I, I've heard thousands of people give eulogies and share memories about a loved one at a, at a funeral. And they, they never talk about possessions. They never talk about wealth. They never talk about any of that. You know what they talk about? They talk about life. They talk about relationships and they talk about loving one another when they spend time together in all of those things. I mean, the danger of materialism, listen, I'm telling you, the danger of materialism is like this misplaced priorities. The last week I, I told you, I announced to you that what we're walking through with, with our oldest daughter, Brittany, uh, with, with, a, with a very serious brain tumor. Uh, three young grandkids and, and, and we're walking through that as a family. One brain surgery, another brain surgery to go. And... And you know what's done for us? It's made our priorities very, very clear. The things that we once thought were important, no longer important like they once were. And we've gone through some difficult days, but we've also had some beautiful family moments of watching grandkids, of spending time together, trips to the hospital, trips back, where we've just laughed and we've talked and all of those other things. Listen, I'm telling you, the problem with materialism is we forget about the relationships. We forget about everything else that's so important to life. November the, the 5th and 6th, I'll just tell you this real quickly. Many of you have asked, how are Karen and I like, getting through this? And so I've inserted a sermon. It's November 5th and 6th. The title is, is The Tracks of My Tears. It comes from a song, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. So a little bit of Smokey Robinson, a little bit of Scripture, November the 5th and 6th. I think Linda Ronstadt sang it as well, but she did not do as well as Smokey Robinson. I, that's my personal opinion. That is my personal opinion. No emails, okay? I mean, you can be wrong if you want to. And, and so, and so I'm going to walk through with you what is a biblical lament. How do you walk through struggle from a place of faith, from a place of trust? And I'm, and, and I'm going to walk you through this. So the last thing is this about this is just the power, just the power of generosity. There, there, there's two warnings and there's a command. 
all through Scripture, I mean, it's commanded pretty strongly, and it's, it, it, it's talked about a lot. Jesus, Listen, Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. Jesus talked more about money than sex, uh, than, 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 than murder, uh, than any other sin issue. Jesus, fact is, fact is, a third of Jesus' sermons dealt with this issue of wealth because he understood that's the dangerous life. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole, soul, the whole world and loses like his soul? And so this was a command because, listen, I'm telling you what the Bible tells us is the only thing that breaks greed or materialism is this issue of giving. I mean, we're always teaching our children to share, right? I mean, we're always, we're always asking, we're always talking to our kids about, about this issue, about the need to share. And why is it when we grow up and we become adults, we no longer think that's important? I mean, we spend a lot of, a lot of time with grandkids from one to four and a half. And I just feel like a broken record, share, share. Please share, you know, all, right? I mean, if you've had young children, you know. You're just trying to get them. You just want them. You think, you know what, if you guys could just learn to share, it would be a better place. And Jesus would the same, say the same thing about us. Jesus would say the same thing about adults. And he goes on and he says, verse 18, he says, they are to do good. So here's the command. They are to do good, to, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. You, know, you want to know what truly life is? It is not found in materialism. It is not found in greed. It is not found of I'm going to get all I can keep, get and I'm going to keep all I can get. And all Jesus would say, you want, to, you want to know what life is? You want to know what truly life is? It's learning to be generous with your wealth. It's learning to share. I mean, Jesus is the one that committed, uh, uh, committed commanded a poor widow in this area of giving sacrificially, tithing, giving. Uh, here's what she, he said in verse 12, Mark 12, verse 42. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a preacher sitting in front of the offering, walking with the offering plate, walking in front of you and watching? <laughs> verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. In other words, they, they just tipped God. In other words, they just gave stuff that like they're never going to miss. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had and all she had to live on. So all of a sudden you see Jesus supporting this issue of, of like New Testament giving. In fact, is in the Old Testament, 450 years before the law, there was this issue of tithing, uh, giving of 10%. And so Abram, Abram like uh, had this huge plunder. He, he won this huge battle. And so Abram had a decision. Abram had a decision like many of us have. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with the wealth God has given me? And watch this uh, in the scriptures. It's Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. He said, after his return from the defeat of, that's a really hard word, we're just going to move on. <laughs> and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, so the king Sodom represented the world, went out to meet him at the valley of Shevev, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, so he, our high priest Melchizedek, so now we're realizing, oh no, this is a church service, uh, king of Salem brought out bread and wine, so, so uh, that, that signifies uh, communion, and so he was a priest of the God Most High, 
And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this was before the law. See, there's some people that say this issue of giving, that's part of the law. We don't have to do it anymore. But listen, tithing, giving, it was before the law. This is 450 years before the law. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. See, we, we, we have that decision. We, we, have, we have to make that decision every week. But Abram said to the king of, of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say, lest you say, I have made Abram rich. In other words, Abraham said this. Abraham said, I'm going to give to God and I'm going to honor God with my wealth because God is the one that makes me rich. God is the one that blesses me. If I don't do that, guess what, King Sodom? The world is going to say that you're the one who, who made me rich. In other words, Abram decided to honor God with his, with our, with his wealth. Karen and I, when, when, we, when we were married, uh, neither one of us were raised in really a Christian home, and so we, were, we met Christ within six months of each other and then like met each other and, and got married. And, and so w w we didn't have a concept of giving. And we heard, a, we heard a sermon on giving. And we decided then, you know what, we're, we're just going to honor God with our wealth. And, and I could tell you story after story what God has done in, in, in our life. Listen, listen, telling you, you cannot truly say you trust God if you cannot trust him with your wealth. Just, it's just way too, the fact is, Jesus would say that, and Jesus did say that. One of the things that's helped us through this time is knowing that we can trust him. It may be a path that we haven't chosen, it may be a difficult path, and we may wish things were different, but we know this at the end of the day, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Yeah. You want to learn to dive deep in the Christian life? I'm just telling you. Learn to trust Him with your wealth. I cannot tell you what has happened in our life and of just learning just this issue of trust. Listen, I know you have to force yourself to go against basic instincts and the philosophy of the world. That's what, that's what Abram did when he says, I, I'm not going to give it to King Solomon the world. I'm, I'm going to honor God with it. And that's why scripture says that we, we don't hoard it and we don't trust in it, but we're, we're generous with it. And, and we learn that, that he can be trusted. See, generosity, what he tells us, doesn't only apply to our wealth, it also applies to our, our time. What, what he says, people that are, are rich in good deeds are busy people. And they, they serve him. It, it, it's just so easy. Whether it's giving of, of money or whether it's giving of time to say, you know what, one day. One day I will. One day when I have more money. One day when I have more time. One day when my, listen, one day when my circumstances are different. That's another principle that Karen and I have just lived our life by, and it's just so important in these days. We, we decided many years ago that circumstances are not going to determine our level of service. Circumstances are not going to determine how much we serve God or if we serve God or if we don't. We've already, we've already made that decision. And what I've found in ministry and what I've found in life is people that say one day, that day never comes. Because schedules don't slow down. And so, so he, gives, he gives a command. 
And then he tells us that, that there's some rewards. Let me give you those couple of rewards and then we'll close. But the first one is this. He says there, there's an internal re- eternal reward. There's an eternal reward. Uh, verse 19 in 1 Timothy 6, he says, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. In other words, he starts talking about this, that, that we're stewards and we're managers of, of what God has given us and, and that, that one day, one day, we will be held accountable. That, that was part of the parable that Jesus told about the woman and watching and knowing what is given and what is, what is kept. That Jesus, Jesus himself is the one that says, don't, don't hoard it up on earth, riches, because they do not last, but be willing to share and be willing to give. The second thing is this. There is, there is a promise of earthly satisfaction. There is a promise of earthly satisfaction. That, that doesn't mean that, that you're going to like win the lottery and, and, and all this other stuff, but I, I'm telling you, there's a peace that comes with that. There's a peace of knowing that, guess what? We've partnered with God in everything in our life, whether it's, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's business or anything. He said again, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, just charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything, everything to enjoy. Verse 19, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That's where that comes from that they may take hold of that which is, which is truly life. I mean, some of, the, some of the most miserable people are selfish people, are greedy people. Some of the happiest people I know and some of the joyful people that I know, regardless of what happens to them in their life, are those that have the, the courage to say, you know, we're just going to trust God. And we're, we're, ju- we're just going to give. I mean, I've, I've watched, and we have plenty of testimonies in our church of people that have gone on mission trips, whether it's to Africa, whether it's to Haiti. fact is, Pastor Dwayne's going on another discovery tour in Haiti. Uh, we finished this orphanage, and we have orphans, and we've outgrown that place, and so now we're looking for another place. But we've gotten testimony and testimony back of people that have gone on mission trips and said, you know what, I was more blessed going than what I could, could have ever blessed them. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, he writes these words. He says, the point of this is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I mean, that, that the basic says if you'll give and, 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 and you'll trust that God will, God will meet your needs. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in, in, in every, every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, he says life is, life is like a funnel. That is, he pours it in, you pour it out, you funnel it out. And, prom- and Paul promises that you give, and he'll give back to you in every way. Not just in material things. And I know this is counterculture to, to our culture and to our life. But if you want to live life deeper, then you've got to live counterculture to this world. 
to where you understand that he and he is the only one that can be trusted.